name will be called Jesus. Amen? Emmanuel, God with us. I want you to know something today. God is on the move. Whether you think he is or not, whether you perceive it or not, and in fact, most people don't realize it. It's, it's the same as when you were growing up, and if your parents ever did this, but they had a, a special door jam in the house for all the kids where they would mark you with a mark, and then you'd come back at the end of the summer, and some of you'd grown a foot. You remember that? You're wearing floodwater pants everywhere you went. No one is like, wow, what's happening? My pants are shrinking. No, actually, you were growing, but it's imperceptible unless you have something to, to measure it by. But I want you to know something. God's on the move whether you think he is or not. In fact, you are going to go home, some of you, others, home comes to you, where family and friends will gather together over this holiday season. Back when we started, right before Thanksgiving, I did a message called uh, Stormproofing the Holidays, Your Holidays. And we talked about this idea that when you go back into your family of origin or they come to see you, however that works out, it's real easy to revert to that 12-year-old kid again. You know what I'm saying? I had somebody today in the first service come and talk to me, and she said, she said, my mother is here, and she's in her 90s. She said, my goal this week is not to become 12, year old, 12 years old again. I said, that is a great goal because you're not that kid anymore. Some of you actually are going to go back into your home situation, or like I said, they may be coming to you, And you're not going to be the same as you were last year. Some of you are growing whether you know it or not. I told the story of me being the West Texas boy who the most water I'd ever been in was a place called Buffalo Lakes or White River up in West Texas. Those are brown lakes, just so you know, and stock tanks. So when we moved out to the West Coast, out to Southern California, our first beach trip was amazing. I was so excited, went out there in the water, didn't realize how cold the water is there. And uh, I was out there, but still having a good time. And again, not being very versed and beach savvy, I was hopping up and down every wave that came in. I'd get up off the ground. I'd land back again. I didn't realize it, but I was moving two or three feet every time I caught a little wave, every time I hopped. And what I didn't realize, and I wasn't paying attention, so after a little bit, I look up, and I don't even recognize the shoreline. Why? Because the current was moving me down the shoreline, and I didn't even know it. Some of you are growing as followers of Jesus, you're learning, you're getting new vocabulary, you're getting new language, and you don't even know it. But let me tell you something. When you go back around family that's been around you all your life and they think they know you, they're going to see something different. In fact, maybe like that shoreline, they may not even recognize you. All of us have Christmas stories. Some are not all good. Some have amazing stories we can talk about. I told the story at our Christmas walk about my, my July Christmas. Christmas in July when my grandmother forgot to give us all the presents she had gotten us. And they were hidden in a closet so well that she couldn't find them. And we discovered them and we had Christmas in July with me and all my cousins. It was amazing. It was one of the best Christmases ever. But another good Christmas that happened was actually a tragic Christmas, a difficult Christmas. And I've told this story before, so I'm going to keep the details real, real minimal, but we basically lost our oldest daughter for a season. We were living in Southern California. I had sensed a call to plant a church back in Texas. Our church out there sent us back. And we came to Texas, planted the church, got going. But what happened was our daughter got married while we were out there, and she did not return with us. 
Well, it wasn't long after that that we lost touch with her because some things had gone south in her marriage, and we found out she was gone, but she was so ashamed of what had happened. She didn't want to let us down or hear the disappointment, so she didn't let us know, and she dropped off the radar screen. And we were distraught. And this happened over the Christmas holidays. During that time, I did what I think was a smart move, and that is I reached out to every pastor friend I had in that community. Everywhere I've ever been, I've always built friendships and relationships with other pastors, other staff, because we're all one team, right? We're one church, and so I love getting to know pastors from other churches and celebrate them and be their biggest fan, their biggest cheerleader. You can do it. You can do it. You've got this, and I love doing that, and so I'd done that there, and so I had a lot of friends that were in ministry, and I reached out to all of them. I said, man, we're in, guys, we're in a rough spot, and you know what they did? I get emotional when I talk about it. They came around us, held up our arms in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of where is our daughter? And they came around us, and they believed with us, and they stood with us. Because that's what friends do. That's what family does when the chips are down. Not only that, we reached out to our own congregation. And we stood before them like this. Wasn't quite that many. It was a church plant. Stood before them and said, we're hurting, and, and we're not okay. We're just not doing well. And we explained the situation. And our church, ah, again, came around us and loved on us, and held our arms up, and spoke life into us, and prayed with us. I had one phone number that I heard she might be at, and I'd called many times, and nothing. Annette had called, nothing, just an answering machine, with somebody's voice that we didn't know. And I felt an impression to call right then. I didn't hear a voice Uh, There wasn't thunder from heaven. It wasn't thunder in my soul. It wasn't an epiphany of angels or anything. I just felt like I need to call her now. And Annette said, right now. I said, right now. I think I'm supposed to call her right now. My best guess. And I picked up the phone. I called and she answered. I just said, don't hang up. And that began a restoration. And that was right after the first of the year. So that whole Christmas season, we went through not knowing where our daughter was. I'm going to tell you, it was hard to rejoice in the middle of that. Let me tell you what I've learned about being a follower of Jesus is that God is on the move always, whether we perceive it or not, and he is worthy, worthy for us to shout hallelujah anyway. He is worthy for us to raise up a hallelujah even in our darkest days. Greatest Christmas present we got was her answering the phone. And the miracle of it is, and what tells me that God is on, his, on the move through His Son, Jesus, is that it was the right call at the right time, and miraculous, she was about to take her life. And I just said, don't hang up. Whatever you do, don't hang up. I didn't know that was what was about to happen, but that's what later we found out, and she told us. Best Christmas ever, except the July 4th was right. That was right up there. So what is your Christmas story? I have talked to people throughout the holidays who are going through a difficult time. We talked about it earlier. It's called SAD, of all things. S-A-D. And it stands for Seasonal Affective Disorder. It is a real condition. It's a diagnosed condition. It's seasonal in the sense that it's not not clinical in the sense that it's, it's something innate with you physiologically. It's what happens when we go through trauma or we experience loss or we go through a difficult time and we tag it to a particular season. 
And it just so happens that the holiday season from Thanksgiving to Christmas to New Year's covers three holidays, and it's a long enough span of time that a lot of life can happen in the midst of that. And so it tends to be the season that's the most impactful for us because it's a longer season. So just by the law of averages, more happens in that season. So while some of us are excited and we're throwing a dollar or two in the Salvation Army can while they're ringing the bell and we're doing our little shopping, unless you're like us, it's Amazon Prime is our friend, right? And, and, and you're out and about and you've got that Christmas spirit. Not everybody does. And we recognize that. But nonetheless, nonetheless, God is on the move. And he's on the move through his son, Jesus. We celebrated with other churches and came together with the community of faith this last Wednesday night in the church-to-church walk, and it was a celebration of the Christ of Christmas. And I want to do something today that I hope will be practical for you. I don't want to just give you a, I don't want to throw a tip to Christmas and do a typical Christmas sermon where we all, feel out, feel, we all walk out feeling fuzzy, but we don't have an assignment. We don't know what we're supposed to do about it. So this isn't about being warm and fuzzy. This is about getting our marching orders from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and saying, Lord, what would you have us do over the next few days? Because again, some of you are going to engage family. It's going to be difficult or maybe old friends and acquaintances. So God moves through his son, Jesus. And I want, again, the definition to go from one to another place in a continuous motion. In other words, God is always moving to act, to dislodge or displace from a fixed position. To I love this, to rouse up from inactivity. You go from zero to 60. You're moving. You're going somewhere. And I'm telling you, God is on the move. And we've been using this example from the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is on the move, said Mr. Beaver. So listen to this scripture, John chapter 1, verse 14. We started off in John 1, 1, um, and literally it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we began that way, and we culminate with this in verse 14. The Word became a human. He put on an earth suit. He became like us and lived among us. In the words of Eugene Peterson, he moved into the neighborhood. I love that. We saw his glory. Can I just define glory right quick for you? Glory is one of those nebulous words that as Christians, we talk about the glory of God. We just don't know what it is. In the Hebrew, in the Old Covenant, there was a word called kabod. And the kabod was what's known as the weighty glory of God. There's the Shekinah glory, which is a light. It's like that perpetual light that burns over the Ark of the Covenant. That is the Shekinah glory. That's the light, the expression. But the kabod was a weighty glory. In other words, it was his presence that when he showed up, for example, in the Saul, in, uh, when they dedicated the temple, David's temple that Solomon finished, the scripture says that the priests could not even minister because of the presence, the kabod of God. It was so weighty, they literally fell to the ground. They couldn't stand in his presence. So when we talk about glory, it's easy to think in terms of, of, a, of a glory ball floating around or a cloud that's, or a sunrise or a sunset with the, with the rays streaming through. That is glorious in nature. But in a practical terms, the word glory, when we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the presence of God, his manifest presence. Look at this. The word became a human and lived among us. We saw his presence. We saw him. 
We saw his presence, the presence, the glory that belongs to the only son of the father. And look what it says. He was full of two things. What is it, church? Say it. Grace and truth. Here's the, here's the temptation. And this is kind of, I don't even know where this started in teaching and doctrine, but we somehow see grace and truth as two ends of the spectrum. That somehow truth is out here, and truth is all those dogmatic, hardcore, old covenant, fundamental, no bending, no mercy, just truth. And we just, we relegate people, we label, we categorize, we stick them on this end of the teeter-totter. Then we go to the other end of the teeter-totter, because they counterbalance, right? So we go to the other end of the teeter-totter, and we have grace. Grace is swinging in a hammock with a cool glass of tea on a warm spring day. And it's greasy, and it's slippery. And, you know, you've got to be careful with too much grace, because if we do too much grace, people will just go crazy. They're going to sin. Hey, people don't need permission to sin. They're already sinning, right? Hello. Like, that's going to give them some kind of license. So we've got these two ends of the spectrum, two bar ditches, if you will, West Texas language. Somewhere in the middle, there's a road. And let me tell you where Jesus was. He was right, in this case, in the middle of the road. He's full of grace and truth, truth and grace. They're not two ends of the spectrum. They're actually hand in glove. Grace and truth go together. They are not separate entities. You don't have truth without grace. And you do not have grace without truth. Can I get an amen? Can we get it right and pull it together and celebrate the truth if grace is only unmerited favor? Because when you ask a lot of Christians, so what's the definition of grace? Well, it's unmerited favor. That's real popular. Did Jesus need unmerited favor? Wasn't he sinless? But let me tell you what he did need. He needed grace as an active force and that is what grace is. Many years ago, I did a very deep dive, all in, 700 commentaries laid out around an office. This was before we had everything online, and I did a deep dive study of grace because I needed it so bad. And I dove into God's Word, and I came up with this definition by combining all this information, and I brought it down into something that I could remember, and I call it P-S-A-A-F. Okay, that's not real gripping, but you, I think you'll get it because it's an easy way. I need acronyms because I'm simple-minded, so it helps. Look at this, grace. After all the study, after going through everything, here's what I found grace to be. God's power. Did, Jesus didn't need unmerited favor, but did he need power? Yeah, you try raising Lazarus from the dead with no power. So it's God's power, it's God's strength. It's God's ability, it's God's authority, and it is God's favor to do what you cannot in and of yourself do. What grace does, it, it's an enablement, it's an empowerment. Who needs more grace? Who wants more grace? Oh, Lord, thank you for your grace that you give in an unlimited capacity in greater and greater measures. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Now, in light of this, I had this thought early this morning, about 4.45, when I was up, and I, I put together this little thing. I do these posts online. I do them every day. I've done them for years. And uh, just sorry to disappoint, I don't get into political battles or theological battles online, okay? You want to chat? Talk to me. But don't, 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 let's not get in a fight on, on a social media platform. 
So here's what I do. I made a commitment years ago that anything I ever post on social media will either be positive, it will be fun, it will be personal in the sense of, hey, I got a new guitar, check it out, or, um, or look at that sunrise, or this is a funny meme, or here's truth. Here's what God's up to. This is a beautiful thing. So I do this every day. So here's the one I wrote today. It's, I know it's hard to see. I'll just read it to you. It's out of John chapter 5, verse 24, and it has merit to what we're about to look at. Whoever hears, is Jesus speaking, whoever hears what I say and believes in the one who sent me has eternal life, as though that's not good, as though that's not amazing. Look at the next line. That person will not be judged guilty. I better read that again just in case we didn't get it. Dramatic pause. Okay, here we go. That person will not be judged guilty but has already left death and entered life. Amen. Death is now in the past, family. That's right. When you are a follower of Jesus and you've believed, guess what? Life is yours. And the scripture talks in John 10 of an abundant life, life to the full, life that is overflowing, where we are literally living life not out of the cup, but out of, the, out of the saucer, out of the overflow of His goodness, of His glory, His presence. Amen? Amen? Some of you are going, this is not practical. This is like up in the stratosphere. No, no, it's going to get practical. Hang in. So I wrote this in terms of this because this is what I was inspired to write. Whoever. I am a whoever. Notice the first line. Whoever hears what I say and believes. I am a whoever. Do we have any whoever's in here? Any, whoever, any who have stepped over the line? I am a whoever. I heard, I believed, I received eternal life in and through Christ. I am not and will not be judged, punished, or condemned. That harkens back to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where Paul said, There is, therefore, now. I love the fact that he put a quantifier on there. Now. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Guess what? I'm a whoever and I'm in Christ. If you've stepped over the line, you've gone all in, I'm not talking about your behavior. I'm not talking about your thought life. I'm talking about if you are in Christ, then you are a whoever. And look what it says. So I wrote it this way. I pass from death to life. I don't know about you, I want to be a life leaker. So I traded guitars this weekend with a guy. I got this one, isn't it pretty? So I got this guitar, it's really fun. We were in San Antonio, and a guy I don't know, met him on Facebook, and we, people trade stuff like, like baseball cards. So I meet this guy in San Antonio, I trade him another guitar for that one, and he says, hey, I have to ask you something. He goes, I noticed on your profile that you wrote life leaker. He said, did you mean life leader? And I said, oh, what does a witness do? Answer the questions right? So I said, no, that's actually very intentional. And then I said, as a follower of Jesus, my goal is to be so full of life that everywhere I go, I just leak it out on people. He goes, oh, that's cool. And he turned around and walked off. So I was like, shazam, that was awesome. We want to leak life. We want to be so full of Jesus, so full of this joy that we just leak out. And again, it's imperceptible. It's imperceptible in our attempt to do it because we just do it. We just show up. We're not human doings, we're human beings, and we just be human in Christ. As we show up, guess what? He shows up with us. Amen? Amen. So this is why I can't stop laughing. Sorry, not sorry. I'm sorry, not sorry. I can't help it. 
There's a joy because of Jesus and because of his life in me that just sometimes comes out. I'm the weirdo who laughs at stupid stuff at movies that no one else is laughing at. And then it's like, that wasn't really funny. I'm like, no, it was hysterical. That was genius. I'm that guy. Sorry, not sorry. So this is why I can't stop laughing. This is why I drip with grace. Remember what grace is? I drip with it because his goodness, and he's amazing, and I'm in him, and I'm a whoever. This is why I can't stop smiling. This is why I can't stop loving. Here's the deal. I love you, and there is nothing you can do about it. Sorry, you can't stop this. Not sorry. This is why I can't stop smiling. This is why I can't stop loving. This is why I will never stop talking about our identity. Because when you find out who you are in Jesus Christ, you're done. Game over. Finished. It is finished, he said on the cross. Amen? And when you get it, it's like life elevates even on your worst day. And you can raise a hallelujah. You can shout hallelujah anyway, no matter what the circumstance. This is why I can't stop worshiping. You know why I play on the worship team? Because I can. Because I want to. Because I get to. When I'm up here with a guitar, I'm not Pastor Jimmy. I'm just Jimmy giving what I have to add to this atmosphere. Uh, That's me as a church member giving that. And I can't help it. And I get to worship. It's, it's, It's such a core value. This is why I won't stop preaching. Ever. There's two things we always got to say, right? Gossip and good news. Always going to share that. I just can't help it. I'm going to share the good news of what's in me and through me because I'm a whoever. Any other whoever's here? Come on, let me see your hands, whoever's. There you go. That's why I won't stop preaching. That's why retirement is not my vocabulary. What is that anyway? We, need, we talk about this here. We talk about refirement as opposed to retirement. You see, I'm not talking about retiring from the job. I'm talking about life. See, it's one thing to have a career, finish, cross the line, you know, get your check, get your RV, run around a little bit. But here's the deal. You are not done with life. And you are not done with the kingdom. There is a call on you and a mandate that has nothing to do with your age. Has nothing to do with your station in life. Has nothing to do with your season in life. You are called as a whoever to represent, to represent, to represent Jesus wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play. So it's, retirement is not in the vocabulary. It is refirement. Amen? We got a handful of folks around here who've gotten a hold of that, and there is no stopping you. We got 90-year-olds out running most of you. I'm just saying. They can run circles around you in the kingdom because they are so on fire for Jesus. They may be retired from their job, but they are not retired from the kingdom. Can I get an amen? amen. Retirement's not in... Yeah, amen. Give it up for Jesus. That's our 90-year-olds clapping. They go, Yeah! Give me my mountain. And this is why I ooze with gratitude. I can't help it. I can't help it. I know this is a bunch of eyes. This is a lot of me stuff. Sorry. I just, not sorry because this is who I am. I want you to know that because there's such life in this thing. And some of you that don't know me are going, well, yeah, you born with a silver spoon in your mouth. You got it all together. Whoa, wait a minute. Let's talk afterwards and we'll just compare scars, okay? Because I'm telling you, this has not been a pretty journey. And that's why... 
the glory is so amazing because when you've been out and you've had nothing, when God restores and redeems, it's that much sweeter. It's that much more amazing. This is why I do what I do. I'm a whoever. Amen. Amen. So back to our scripture. Listen to this in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, here it is, somebody say it out loud. Whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And again, as though that's not good enough, we've got to go to verse 17. First of all, look, at, look again at verse 16. For God so loved who? You mean that that world out there? You mean that world outside of our, our, our perfect life in here? You mean out there where those heathens are and those pagans? You mean out there? God loves them? Let me tell you. Who's the world? Well, in the words of a very famous song, we are the world. That's us. He loves us. This is what, this is a mind blower. He loved you the same on your worst day, in your darkest hour, in the middle of your most pulling a big piece of stupid decision that you ever made. He loved you the same as on your best day, when you had it all together, when the engine was running like it's supposed to, all eight cylinders firing, and everything. Life is good. Woo-hoo, I'm living on the mountaintop. This is life. Living the dream, baby. On your best day, he didn't love you any different on your worst. Oh, Holy Spirit, give us revelation of that. Lord Jesus, give us revelation. Truly give us revelation. Grace and truth, the truth that sets us free. Amen? For God so loved all of us. And let me tell you something. He loves them too. You mean those Muslim nations? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? That's why he keeps showing up to... He shows up to them without us because we won't go over there. We're too chicken. So he just has to show up supernaturally, which it's happening over and over and over. He's showing up in dreams. He's showing up in visions. He's showing up because we're not there. He loves them so much that he will show up. (sighs) Whoever believes. But here's verse 17 because we can't stop there. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Uh Uh-oh. So if God is not condemning the world, and He didn't send Jesus into the world to pronounce a sentence of guilty on the world, why do we? Wow, it got quiet. Why do we as the church? When did God release us into judgment over the world? Exactly. Our call is not to judge or condemn. It wasn't his either, apparently. Our call is to love. And it means to love until it hurts. And it means to love those that you may not just be in the same value system with. If you're a Republican, you're called to love Democrats. Boy, I'm meddling now, aren't I? Woo! Wow! You went from preaching to meddling right then. And if you're a Democrat, you're called to love those crazy Republicans. Man, I watch the stuff that's happening online, on social media. I watch what's happening on TV. I'm like, 
why do we just pull the gloves off when it comes to politics, but in church we all like got it all together and we're all, oh, brother, brother, sister, sister. Yeah, this is real, isn't it? Look what he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, that means we shouldn't either, but that through the world, that, but that the world through Christ, through him, through Jesus, through the son might be saved. He is willing that none should perish. If he's willing that none should perish, why do we want some to perish? Why do we think some are so far above and beyond grace? We forget how we lived our lives in the early years. Lest we forget. Amen? So let's go on with our scripture, picking up in verse 15. John tells the truth about him. This is talking about John the, not John the Southern Baptist, but John the baptizer. John tells the truth about Jesus and cries out saying, this is the one I told you about. So John goes out and he's called a forerunner. He goes out to announce that the Messiah is coming. The one we've been waiting for. And he happens to be my cousin. That's really cool. He said he's family. He's my cousin. But he's, we're waiting for him. He says, this is the one I told you about. The one who comes after me is greater than I because he was living before me. Because Jesus it, who was and is and is to come. He's eternal. And he realizes that and recognizes it. Now, verse 116, because he was, there it is again, full of grace and truth. Do you realize that the nature of fullness is overflow? I learned that this morning as I accidentally filled my coffee cup way to the brim because I really needed it at 425. So I'm like, I just got to get a little more in there. I'm going to get a bigger cup. Now I'll just pour more. And here it was. The nature of fullness is overflow. The nature of it. Look what it says. He was full of grace and truth. And from him we all received. Who received? All. Who's all? We. Think it's those, those whoever people? The whoever's? Look what it says we received. One gift after another. Another translation, I love it, nails it. Grace upon grace. As if some grace isn't enough, he layers it and says, I'm going to add some more to this. I'm going to layer this. I'm going to stack it with grace. God's power, God's strength, God's ability, God's authority, and God's favor to do what you cannot in and of yourself do. I want to invite the worship team to come on out. We're going to go out with worship. I want to give you something practical here. Verse 17, the law was given through Moses, but there it is again. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's what the book of Hebrews calls a new and better covenant in the new. We're going to unpack that another time. But just suffice it to say, he's comparing the old and the new. And he says, let me tell you something. The new is amazing. Now listen to this. No one has ever seen God, but God the only Son who is close to the Father. And he has shown us what God is like. Jesus said this in another passage. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Ditch your religious view of God being a judge or an ogre sitting on a throne, doling out punishment for sin. That is not biblical. That is not new covenant, the new and better covenant. It, you want to know what he looks like? He looks just like Jesus sitting on a throne. And this is the one who loved people. This is the one who extended mercy, extended grace. This is the one who didn't condemn, but healed and saved and raised from the dead. This is the one who fed the hungry, comforted the afflicted, 
This is the one who laid his very life down for the rest of us. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. And you've seen him. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Practical, right here. What does it look like in real life? Because some of you are about to step back into a weird week. And you're going to be tempted to revert to a 12-year-old. Or you're going to be tempted to forget who you are. Son of God. Daughter of God. Royalty. That's who you are. And look at this. Colossians 1.27, as though I haven't quoted this verse a thousand times. Here's a thousand and one. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, that's us, the glorious riches of this mystery. Now he reveals it, and here it is, which is Christ in and through you. It's not just Christ in us to keep to ourselves. We don't hide it under a bushel, right? We put it on a lampstand and let it shine so that others can see. And here it is. Christ in and through you, the hope, confident and joyful expectation. That's what hope is. I'm confident and I'm joyful that where I go, Christ goes. Where I show up, He shows up through me, not just in me, but through me, touching those that are in my orbit, in my relational sphere. And as that happens, and that means my family, by the way, that means my friends, by the way, that I'll be seeing over the holidays, confident and joyful expectation of glory. We defined glory before. It is God's manifested presence. Here's the beauty of that. When you get this, you show up knowing he's showing up with you. you When you're there, he's there. And he shines his life through you. The aroma of Christ coming off of you and out of you. Showing up before you even get to the room. God's manifested presence. That's what grace and truth looks like in action. It means Christ showing up in you and through you. And then the last one. This is that term we introduced two weeks ago called whimsical holiness. As you go back into your family scenario or they come to see you, and we, go and we get out of our routines as well because that can be a real impactor on your spiritual walk. You know, where you've got your coffee pot, you've got your bed, you've got your little Bible study area, you've got your prayer closet, whatever you have in your home that becomes a part of your normal routine, which is a beautiful thing. But when there's disruption to the routine, there's a tendency to get a little off balance spiritually. So I'm cautioning you in advance so that you'll walk into whatever you're walking into ready, prepared, and you'll go, oh, wait, this is that. I haven't lost my salvation. I'm just out of my routine. This isn't cancer, it's a cold, okay? I'm not, I'm not dead, I'm just, I'm just out of my routine, and it throws you out of sorts. That's real. So this is what whimsical holiness is. And think about this in terms of your family and friends. The ability to hold to your personal values of Christ-likeness while being deeply integrated in relationship with people who do not hold your same convictions. There may be some of you have family and friends that aren't just like you. Well, isn't that beautiful? That's why you're there with them. God puts you right in the middle of them for a reason. He's airdropping you in. And it's so you can represent Jesus. I even put that, showing up in your cultural context, your family, your friends. And some of you are about to do that. So as we close, what I want to do, I want to pray for you. We did this before Thanksgiving. We commissioned you as apostles, missionaries, into your home, 
into your friend's situation. So we're going to do that again. Our worship team is going to, going to lead us in worship. Our prayer team is going to be up here for anybody who needs prayer. Maybe you need a little reinforcement. The Calvary's here. We're here to pray with you and hold up your hands. So why don't we all stand together and worship? And I want to pray a prayer of commissioning over you, and then the worship team's going to lead us. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every one of my friends and my family that are here with us today. Even as in the first service we did this, Lord, we commission each one as an apostle, as an apostolic representative of Jesus Christ, a missionary, living a missional life, that even as they go back into family of origin or friends or various scenarios and settings as they travel or as those that come to see them, that they will represent Jesus well. I thank you, Father, for the growth, whether it's been very obvious on the surface or whether it's been more of that imperceptible, ongoing growth. Uh, I love that. Just this long obedience in one direction of growth and being faithful and consistent, doing the right thing every day for a long period of time in Christ and growing. So whether it's that or something obvious, Father, I thank you that we are growing because you, Father, you are on the move. Aslan, you are on the move in our lives. You're on the move through Jesus, your Son, in us and through us. We honor you in this. And even as we worship, in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Do feel free to come forward for prayer.